And welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and with me is Thrasher. Hello, Internet! And I um, want to make an announcement. I've neglected to say this in past episodes, and, and I apologize for this, but our theme song is written and performed by the great Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. He does a lot, he's based out of Florida, does a lot of really cool, um, I guess you could say, like, nerd rock music. But it's not just all, like, nerd-focused either. It's just real good. Uh, you know, he, he plays the guitar, he sings, he writes the stuff himself. He's, he's, he's a very talented individual. We've uh, been working with him for several years, and it's great to have the classic sequel cast uh, theme song on the sequel cast 2 show. And also the best shock treatment covers you have ever heard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you can find those on Mark with a C. Dot com. I think that links to his Bandcamp site, and you can check out his uh, covers and, and his originals as well. But yeah, that's how I first learned of him, actually, was through Shock Treatment Covers. Uh, we're also now part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Boom, boom. Check out other good uh, you know, film and TV podcasts over at BattleshipPretension.com and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. And you can also, um, you know, if you like this show, write a review on iTunes. We could really use it. But you can also, you know, find us, if you go to sequelcast2.libsyn.com, we have links to our Facebook page, uh, our Twitter page, which is at Sequelcast2. We're also on Stitcher, we're on TuneIn, we're on the Google Play uh, podcast directory, and we're on Blueberry, which I'm not even sure what that is. Some other podcast there. So, you know, nearly anywhere you get podcasts, you can find Sequelcast2. And I've thought about um, putting these episodes on YouTube, because some podcasts tend to do that. The jury's still out on that? I think I might do that. I mean, it, it wouldn't be the video stuff, at least not at first, but... You know what I mean, Thrasher? Have you seen that with podcasts? I have seen some do it. And you know what I'm immediately thinking, like those Conan O'Brien stunt episodes? What if we just got, like, two puppets and recorded the puppets mouthing along to the recording, and that's what we put up there. We put a puppet show version of the sequel cast up. That just sounds like a lot of work, unless you did, like... Five seconds of Muppets opening and closing their mouths, and you just loop the five seconds over and over again. I want to have a little um, bit more craft than that, but not much. Maybe cut cargo. Yeah, I don't. That just seems like too much trouble. But we're sort of babbling here. This episode of Sequel Cast Two is a, sort of a one-off. We're going to do some of these this uh, this first year of the show. And uh, back when we did the original show, show the Sequel Cast several years ago, we um, we covered some movie franchises that now have gotten sequels since then. So we're going to cover those sort of in between or uh, playing catch-up, so to speak, in between the, the main course uh, stuff we do. And we wrapped up talking about RoboCop the past few episodes. This time, uh, we're doing uh, one of these catch-up episodes, and this is on the controversial, although I, I we'll get into why exactly, I don't think it's that controversial, uh, Ghost, Ghostbusters film from 2016, simply titled Ghostbusters, well, although the, uh, the, the DVD box says in huge letters, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, 
But the title card in the movie just says Ghostbusters. And I'll tell you what, the only call that's going to be answered is those femists, femist, femnocrats that are trying to fem up this franchise. I'll tell you, there ain't no ghosts. The only ghost I'm afraid of that I ain't afraid of is the ghost of Cuckold's future, which is reaching around into the past to take our Ghostbusters away from us. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I like this movie. The only ghost I know of are my wife's double G's. Scared the bejesus out of me every night. Hey, Shaggy's yeah. back! Ah, yes, Shaggy Spielberg. Yeah, how can I do? I gotta leave pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, I, I can talk about it. When this movie came out, I did one called uh, Ghost Ladies. I'm busting them, is, is the tagline. And, and the I'm busting them, was that was that you? Was that another character in the movie? Or was that, like, is the audience the I who was busting? I, you know, we didn't know when we started filming it. We didn't really have a script. Uh, kind of made up stuff as we go along. It turns out it's called uh, Ghost. Uh, what what I say it was Ghost Ladies. Yeah, Ghost Ghost Ladies. I'm busting it. Yeah, and the main character's name is Ima busting it. So Ima is uh she uh, thinks she sees ghosts when she closes her eyes. It turns out she just has a stroke the whole time. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't think we need to see the movie now, Shecky. Well, uh, I made some scary ghost effects. I put holes in Kleenex and wave it around, going, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I sneeze on one, and I call it Slimoid. <laughs> okay, well, I gotta go. I'm uh, I'm, I'm getting called by Ghost Score. That's Dan Aykroyd and uh, Ivan Reitman's uh, production company for Ghostbusters properties. Now, are they trying to collaborate with you or sue you? Uh, sue me, I, I think. Uh, I got something called... Uh, an affidavit, I threw it in the trash. That's where my mail goes, so I'll, I'll never know. The old but I might have to hide in Costa Rica. Yeah, I might have to hide in the in Costa Rica for a while. By Costa Rica, I mean my cousin Joey's basement on 74th Street. Hope they're not listening to this. <laughs> oh, that was Shecky Spielboy. I haven't heard from him in a while. Quite so a yeah, while. Ghostbusters came out in 2016. And um, I, I think before we talk about this film proper i'll list the credits really quick and then we'll talk a bit about the lawn development of a third ghostbusters oh yeah because it's been in the works for decades uh so this uh ghostbusters film from 2016 just called ghostbusters directed by paul feig produced by ivan reitman and amy pascal written by katie dippold and paul feig based on the film ghostbusters by the uh, ghostbusters by ivan reitman dan Aykroyd, and harold ramus that's a very odd credit um, starring Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, and Chris Hemsworth. Music by Theodore Shapiro. Cinematography by Robert Yeoman. Edited by Brent White and Melissa Brotherton. This uh, was released uh, by Sony Pictures. And, um, you know, according to Box Office Mojo, off a budget of $144 million, made around $229 million worldwide. Which um, isn't terrible, but it's not the smash they uh, uh, needed it to be, to be perfectly honest. Wasn't what they wanted for the beginning of a shared world mega franchise that could cross over with G.I. Right. Yeah, and not, Transformers. Yeah, in other words, it's not like Avengers numbers, which I, I, I don't think they should have been expecting, frankly. But um, I also don't think this movie needs as many special effects as it has, which we'll get into. So, um, yeah, the long tortured road of a third Ghostbusters film it's been going on since at least like the internet movie criticism sites with like Ain't It Cool News started in the late night in the mid nineties. 
Well, I'll go so far as I, I believe there's been a third Ghostbusters movie in development since the second Ghostbusters movie. It was just initially delayed because that movie didn't perform as well as people had hoped. That's right. And part of the deal they had is all four, um, or at least the director, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis all had to sign off on a concept for Ghostbusters 3. And Bill Murray was always the standout because he... I don't think he's really done sequels except for Garfield 2 and Ghostbusters 2. Strangely um, enough, yeah. Is that right? I think so. Both both uh, movies with the Don Mezic connection. Right. Um, you know, in, in Ghostbusters 3, there is a script called Hellbent that involved... Um, in Manhattan, there was also like an alternate dimension... It was on top of an alternate dimension of hell. And you could put on these like glasses... And see, you know, where you normally would see businessmen, you would see, like, demons walking around and stuff. And um, I believe Harold Ramis in some interview described it as too smart for its own good. Yeah, it was, wasn't that the one where the Ghostbusters, uh, the rumor was the Ghostbusters would become trapped in hell and would have to fight their way out. And to get to the, like, to get out, they had to cross, like, a bridge into heaven, which turned out to be the parallel universe of New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's And also, after that... They worked on sort of a, a concept where it was like the um, the older, the old Ghostbusters are training younger Ghostbusters, you know, sort of the next generation sort of idea. And the Ghostbusters would have been um, like Chris Farley and uh, Ben Stiller and, and those kind of Jack Black, probably, you know, those kind of people. Oh, my God. A Jack Black Ghostbuster vehicle would be pretty awesome. Mm hmm. And. That didn't happen. Um, for years, the closest uh, people thought we wanted to get for a Ghostbusters uh, 3 was the Ghostbusters video game. I'll say in full disclosure, I know one of the head writers in the Ghostbusters video game. Um, but uh, that being said, I, I thought the video game was pretty fun. And I mean, the, the storyline, it, it's sort of like you play like a, a new member of the Ghostbusters, but they got most of the cast members to do the lines. Um, it's, you know, you don't have Sigourney Weaver coming back as, uh, um, Rebecca. Dana. But, or sorry, Dana, I'm looking at the <laughs> cast for the new Ghostbusters. No, I, I, I've played through the, the Ghostbusters video game. It, it is very fun and really captures the spirit of the first film. I, I very much enjoyed it. What I think is cool is like the, the Wii and the PS2 versions, because they have less graphical capability, it goes for a more stylized cartoon look. That looks a bit more like the animated series, um, which is sort of fun. But yeah, I, I like that game a lot, and it had some of the licensed music from the movies, which was cool. It sold over a million copies, and um, Harold Ramis was working on a, a new script for Ghostbusters 3 that um, they actually got really close to making that, and then unfortunately, Harold Ramis died. Yep, unfortunately. But it, it would have been... What, you know, the rumor is, I think in that script, Bill Murray would have died in the first two minutes and his character would be a ghost in the script. Which part of me would love to see. I would love to see a Peter Venkman ghost. A sarcastic, yeah, sarcastic Peter Venkman ghost. Just hanging around the Ghostbusters huge... office eating their food. Uh, in fact, one Ghostbusters 3 script uh, that I read, um, they had expressed some interest in was written by Max Landis. You familiar who that is? Yes. He so he's the son of uh, you know, famed eighties uh, 
In 90s, the director and writer John Landis, who did stuff like Animal House and American Werewolf in London. But Max Landis himself has done movies like, uh, written for movies like uh, uh, Chronicle and... Juno. Um, what? what didn't, he, didn't he write Juno, or am I thinking of somebody else? No, no, no. That's, uh... Oh, that's the girl. Um... Oh, no, Diablo Cody wrote Juno. Diablo oh, Cody, that's, yeah. That's right. Max, Max Landis wrote this movie called American Ultra that I thought was pretty good. Oh, yeah, With Kristen Stewart. And, um, but anyway, his script I thought was really neat. I, I read, I read it and it was about the old Ghostbusters, you know, kind of do one last mission. And it, it has, I think part of it, maybe it's been a while since I've read it, but I think something like Zool comes back. And when it gets to the point where it's going to do a manifestation based on what they're thinking of, they all think of a wet roll of toilet paper. And that's what he was that's what the demon manifests itself as, and they kill it immediately. And you have like Harold Ramis character sort of coming back from the grave. And his daughter that's right, his daughter is the new member of the team. And um I, I thought it was really neat. Like a lot of callbacks, but he sort of described it as like he wanted to make it like a typical third movie a closer entry of a trilogy hmm. where the emotional stakes are upped. And yet you have a lot of references, and I, I thought it was pretty neat. It, more of a traditional what you'd expect for a third Ghostbusters film. But that one, they decided not to do because they ultimately, um, their decision, uh, after after uh, Harold Ramis died, Ivan Reitman, who directed the first two films, his heart wasn't in it to be a director. He was still going to executive produce. Um, so Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman formed something called Ghost Corps. I'm not making this up, yep. which is a company to, to, they want to, you know, make Ghostbusters, as we hinted at earlier, a Avengers style, you know, a, a movie universe franchise, like what they're going to be doing with Go- with Transformers. We're getting a Bumblebee movie and all this shit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and they decided to go a completely different way. Let's do, I would call it like a soft reboot. Well, I guess we I've, I've and, well yeah. made my my opinions clear on terms like reboot, reimagining, retelling. That's right. All, we just talked about that. With uh, I think yeah. I I feel like this movie suffers from its connections to the first movie because they all feel like half steps. Mm. Especially, I think it gets better as it goes on. But I found the beginning a bit. Um, tedious and much like you know that robocop remake we talked about last week sort of going through the motions but yeah but this is directed by paul feig who's best known for directing bridesmaids Uh, earlier in his career he worked on um freaks and geeks a well-received tv show oh yes and he's done movies like spy um he's worked with um melissa mccarthy and Kristen wig were were both in bridesmaids and then you have kate mckinnon and leslie jones who are both from the current uh, recent seasons of saturday night live and then you have chris hemsworth as sort of the, uh, he's in the secretary part. He uh, comes out of nowhere, but I love his presence in this movie. Yeah, and Chris Hemsworth is best known as Thor in the Marvel films. And, uh, yeah, so when did you first see this movie? Did you see it in the theaters, or? No, unfortunately I missed it in the theaters. It came out, it came out at a really bad time for me when I just didn't have, I I didn't have the cash uh, at the time to just, to see movies, and I really, really wanted to see this movie. So I didn't see it until, uh, the first time I saw it was a few months ago, uh, Borrowed a borrowed a copy. Uh, my, or my wife borrowed a copy of the DVD from a mutual friend, and uh, that was the first time I saw it. And then I rewatched it again in preparation for this episode. So I have seen both the extended edition and the theatrical cut. 
Oh, good. You know, I only saw the theatrical version when I caught it in theaters about a year ago. The local Redbox didn't uh, happen to have it, mm. but um, I, I remember it quite a bit, though. I saw it in theaters. Uh, my uh, my wife was going through some medical stuff at the time, but the, the movie theater, it, we have one. It's a one-screen, smaller theater called The Baghdad. We had uh, supper there briefly, Thrasher. Oh, yes. Um, Good beer. Before, we got, before my wife and I got married, which was a lot of fun. But um, it's been a, a historic theater there for a while, and, and we, we anyway we caught Ghostbusters there. And my wife was sick and had trouble walking the few blocks. But then you know it, it, I sort of think of there's a famous study where the doctor is sick, and um, in the hospital he brings his favorite videotapes of his favorite comedies, and the the laughter helps heal him. And that's sort of what you know she was able to have fun at the movies and laugh and uh, get out of her pain for a while, which was fun. She was really looking forward to it. She really enjoyed it. I, my thoughts are a bit mixed on it, but um, but before you know, talking about the cast, uh, we really need to address the crazy um, <laughs> oh, yeah. sort of news blog YouTube explosion about this movie where people lost their shit because it's called Ghostbusters and it stars women. I think part of it is because they just called it Ghostbusters. I think that's what caused a lot of the fan fury online. I mean, that there were women, too, was a problem for some people. But I think if it would have been called Ghostbusters 3 or Ghostbusters The Next Generation or something, people would have not gone crazy because, I I don't know, what do you think about the issue? I, I can see that. I think I think part of it, with video, video games get a lot of sequels. And I think, and with, I, I think because of the way video games come out, it creates this it creates this idea that the new version makes the old version obsolete and i think that started to bleed mm. out into other forms of media uh I and, see. and so it it creates this notion that okay well we have a new Ghostbusters coming out called Ghostbusters, so that makes all the previous Ghostbusters obsolete. They will become harder to find. Now, none of that, of course, happened, but but I I, I think I think that's something that video games have ruined. Um, that that being said, classics get remade all the time, uh, and there is always the risk that the remake's gonna be bad or even terrible or possibly the worst it can be uh mediocre but that being said saying that you're not it, it's fine to decide that you're not gonna see a remake however that is not a principled stance i think that's the thing that bothered the me the most yeah, about the immediate backlash right. it, 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 people people acting like it was a mark of high principle that they weren't going to watch this movie. No, it's not a mark of principle. It's a mark of preference. You just don't want to see this movie. And that's it's, fine. Yeah, it's a, mark of your, it's a mark of your personal taste, which, yeah, I mean, vote for your wallet, right? If you don't want to see it, don't see it. But don't make a big deal and, like, you're being some savior of humanity. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, the video I'm thinking of in particular is by um, a... Um, Oh, what do you call it? What do they call influencers? Is that what they call it? The YouTube star? Well, that's what I'm sure. That's what they call themselves, uh, right? Um, you know, but it's this is specifically the the angry video game nerd, um, and I I like a lot of his stuff, and I still like some of his stuff. But he did this really like self righteous 15 minute video about why he's not going to see Ghostbusters, the 2016 one, and it's like, I mean, I, I get it. Like you want to get the hits, you want to do a video about it. But it's like, what's your point? Big deal. You're not going to see the movie. It's like, shouldn't you see the movie? Because then you can actually have a discussion about it. 
Yeah, and I and I think that that was also the one that kind of graded graded on on me the most. I guess I when, when this movie was coming out, I kind of I, I I viewed it the same way I view a lot of things. I will give it the chance to fail, and if right. it doesn't give fail, it the benefit of the doubt, and, and it's good, I'll be delighted. And you know, when I was a teenager, I'm sure I would have been foaming at the mouth at the idea of a movie called Ghostbusters, and oh, you can't remake the original or whatever. But then, you know, the, the thing that changed my mind on this was a quote from uh, one of my favorite authors, Stephen King, where a journalist says, aren't you angry they make all these shitty movies of your books? <laughs> Stephen King points to his bookshelf where it's first printings of all his books, and he's like, you know, my original books are right there, and they're always going to be right there in the bookshelf, yep. and someone will always be able to find them. So, you know, as long as the check clears, I don't really care. And I mean, there's only one instance that I know of in which Stephen King has sued a uh, film company for making a movie off his book. And that's when a company bought the rights to Lawnmower Man, <laughs> just to say based on the story by Stephen King, even though the movie's about virtual reality and has, uh, apart from one scene where there's a levitating uh, lawnmower that's chopping up a guy, has nothing <laughs> to do with the short story. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pre-existing ex- a script, I believe, called like the Cyber God that they made. <laughs> Although, maybe we ought to save that <laughs> yeah. for when we do that series, which may very well be inevitable. Oh, that's true. Job's Revenge, or something, yeah. was the, the second one with but, the, uh, the boy from Last Action Hero. Yeah, well, but yes, Ghostbusters, this film, uh, let's talk about the cast. But, like, well, online, I'm... I mean, the the online stories made um, the front page of the New York Times as part of the fervor over this. Uh, I believe, you know, Leslie Jones, um, the African-American actress who's one of the Ghostbusters in here from SNL, Got her webpage hacked and nude photos uh, from her iPhone leaked on the internet. Yep. Like this, got you know blown offline and all all this hate speech, which is just disgusting. I mean, it's you know yes, there is free speech, and it's easier to say something outrageous because you're hiding behind a computer screen or your cell phone or your iPad. But you know, just because you can be an asshole doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. Well, just think about the effort it takes to do that. When once again, you could just <laughs> yeah, not yeah. see the movie, which will save you money, save you time, save you effort, and you could you could use th- those resources to do something else. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the cast because because I, I will admit, you know, despite the fact that I do have my "I'll give it a chance to fail" attitude, I was highly skeptical because really because no one. No one from the first two Ghostbusters movies was really involved in this, so I, I was pretty skeptical. But what kept me very hopeful was finding out who was involved. One being Paul Feig, whose work I like mm. and whose comic instincts I trust. And then two, just the cast. Uh, Melissa McCarthy uh, is fantastic. Christian Wiig, uh, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones are three of the best things to come out of SNL uh, over the past uh, five-plus years you know, I've forgotten Kristen Wiig was on SNL because it's been, uh, you know, quite a bit of time now. Yeah, well, she, she she came out of that show kicking and screaming and has really made a name for herself. So I, That's right. I, I can understand that, that and on the show, she was so often in a crazy character. You could be forgiven for, for, <laughs> yeah. for forgetting that she's in there somewhere. Right. And, um, you know, Melissa McCarthy, at the time of the release of this film, I think was the most famous member of the cast. Yeah. Um, out of the leads. Because she, you know, Bridesmaids was sort of her big thing, but then she was on TV and Gilmore Girls and uh, oh, whatever that 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 sitcom she was Is it on. Mike for and a Molly. While. Mike and Molly, yeah. Um, and so in, in this film, um, Melissa McCarthy is is Doctor Abby Yates, 
And it, I, it it's an analog, I think, for the Dan Aykroyd part. I I could see that. I know I will say we will like this film isn't really a remake, but the setup especially is very similar to what happens in the first film. Well, I I would disagree. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, it involves people getting kicked out of a university, but the path they take to get to that story beat is very very different. I, I love that. I love that Abigail wants to be a serious and respected researcher, and one little thing from her past causes her entire career to fall apart. Right, it's a different path, and it's a much longer path, really. It's sort of uh, an, an afterthought uh, in the original film. Um, Kristen Wiig as Dr. Gilbert, it, you know, is sort of the emotional heart of the movie, I think. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry, I was, good... I was talking about Dr. Aaron Gilbert. I got flopped uh, when I was giving my little yeah. sum up. Because Dr. Yates is kind of crazy, but not too crazy, and they give her a lot of the, some of the technical dialogue. Uh, but yeah, as Dr. Gilbert... Um, I guess you'd say it's an analog for the Bill Murray character, although they're not really alike at all. I mean, there's there's no real... Only Bill Murray can be Bill Murray. Um, yeah, I, I would say that most of these characters are allowed to be their own people. Like, even, even, even Kate McKinnon, you can only consider her an analog for Egon because she builds all the gadgets, but her personality well, also, is her completely hair looks different. A, She's a completely and, and different her, kind of weirdo. Yeah. Right, and um, and McKinnon is Holtzman, who is a highlight of the movie for me. Oh, her hair looks like the cartoon version of Egon's hair. Yeah, and I was always trying to figure out was that intentional or did somebody just come up with the goofy the goofy hair idea on their own? Although the yellow glasses are a nice touch. I'm a big fan of the Chemical Brothers, so anytime I see uh, yellow sunglasses, <laughs> I'm thrilled. And uh, Leslie Jones is Patty, and you know she was featured a lot in the marketing and. Uh, I really admired Leslie Jones because she was a um, a writer on Saturday Night Live for quite some time, and she sort of made her debut on the show uh, in in a bit on the Weekend Update, and she was really intense and really sort of brought it and and made all sort of buzz. And then she, you know, from that she became a cast member. It, wasn't that when she first started her stick where where when she's on camera she's incredibly attracted to Kevin Jost? That's right. Yep. Yeah. In 2014, and um, and then later, yeah, she she uh, in the 40th episode, she started to come on a little bit in, in uh, 2014. In late in the fall 2014, came on more, but she made the official debut in October 2014. And since then, you know, it it feels like she's been on the show longer. But it's it's nice that a um, and she's not even that old. She's 49, but that you know, an older actress by SNL standards gets to be a cast member and gets to have fame, you know, sort of later in her career, kind of like in that in that way, sort of like Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not that her humor is like Rodney Dangerfield, but aside from age, you know, I don't think that's a fair comparison. But what where am I going with here? Chris Hemsworth <coughs> as uh, as the secretary, Kevin, is it's fun to see him do comedy. He doesn't, you know, he didn't, he did a little bit of comedy in, uh, what is it? Cabin in the woods. He, he gets some humorous moments in that movie. Right. But, but here he really gets to let his comic freak flag fly. And he's, uh, I, I like him, especially in the beginning. Well, he's this character you don't really see. Like he's this dumb beefcake. He's, he's a male equivalent of, of like a, an outrageous bimbo character. Yeah, and that's something I totally didn't get watching the movie for the first time. But on the way, walking back home from the movie, uh, Vanna, 
my wife was was mentioning that. And then I'm like, of course, it's so obvious. Why didn't I pick up on that? Because he does all the same mannerisms like a ditzy blonde in a movie would do or a ditzy blonde TV show would do. And uh, it's there's a lot of layers to that performance. Well, the Um, other thing that's great about his characters is Kevin is that everything he says and does is a joke. Yep. The the cameos we're talking about as we get to them, I do want to point out uh, the bad guy is played uh, initially by Neil Casey, who I did not recognize at all. Um, Had you seen him in anything before? Uh, I had seen him... uh, I, I... Had seen him in bit parts before this, but the main thing I had seen him in before Ghostbusters was in uh, the uh, the Feig uh, sci-fi sitcom Other Space. And how was that show? I really enjoy it. Uh, I, that was on Yahoo, right? It, it was yeah. It was one of the it was one of the launch programs on Yahoo uh, Scream Screen uh, Yahoo Screen. <laughs> um, Paul uh, Paul Feig was trying to get a second a few like a month or two ago was campaigning to get to get funding and backing and distribution for a second season because apparently everybody involved wants to do it. Um, I don't know what happened with that, so there could be more of it, and I'd like to see more of it. I mean, I I really really enjoyed the series. Did you see that Seth MacFarlane is doing uh, has a, a science fiction live action show coming on Fox? I, I know that he's working on one. I, I don't know how I'm, again, I, I've said how I feel about Seth MacFarlane. I don't know how I'm going to feel about the show. I will give it the chance he's, to fail. He's playing the lead, which is sort of interesting because hmm. um, you don't see him in front of the camera too much. But yeah, in, in this film, you know, uh, Neil Casey, he wrote, he, you know, uh, did a lot of, has done a lot of writing in his, in his career. He wrote for um, Saturday Night Live. And um, the Amy Schumer show and the Nick Kroll show. So a lot Ooh. of stuff with uh, Comedy Central. And I think he's, his performance is okay. There's, there's not much of the movie focused on the villain. Well, I um, think... And- like, I, I enjoyed him as an antagonist. I think he was perfectly cast in that role. That being said, I think we should have had one or two more scenes... Of his everyday life, just so we could really hammer Agreed. home why he hates the sure. world and wants to see it destroyed. Okay, so we, let's. Uh, we only um, get one over, scene. Know. We only get one scene of him being shat on by the world. We need three. And even that, it's more of like a mumbled monologue. So uh, yeah, let, let's let's talk about the plot of the film. So as we mentioned, the the setup is sort of similar. To uh, to the original film, we get um, well, an, an actor who's in Silicon Valley, uh, Zach Woods. Oh yes, he's a tour guide at a historical uh, New York mansion. And this is and this is one of the things at, at the beginning. I like that we start with some with some you know paranormal stuff, but. Th- this Ghostbusters has a different kind of humor than the first two films, and that's made very apparent by this opening scene. It's very, it's very modern in its dialogue, uh, where where characters, where characters just kind of casually say horrible or awkwardly phrased things. You know, like when he talks about how how the building came, was built with a what was it? it was built with like a pen for locking up the Irish or something like that. 
So you mean sort of like casual racism and also stuff seems a bit more, um, or at least it's performed more off the cuff than something that seemed more tightly scripted. And frankly, I think, you know, the original Ghostbusters, the scene with the librarian, with the stuff, with the the, um, Dewey Decimal System uh, index cards floating out and stuff. It's a bit, you know, scary, right? It feels like something out of Poltergeist. It, no, it, it, it is spooky, and there are some bits in this opening that are that are spooky. But I think, no, so Ghostbusters, Ghost. If you were a kid growing up with Ghostbusters, it terrified you, especially when the, the librarian ghost gets all skeletony. Nothing in this yeah. movie frightens me. Now that's that that is probably because I'm an adult. Um, I don't know what a, what a, how a kid would react to this. But I never, I never get the feeling that they're trying to legitimately scare me. But that's okay. They're trying to make me. Their their focus is on making me laugh, which I would l- like more comedies to do. Right. It establishes the the tone. I mean, after that, uh, later when we get investigations of uh, that same uh, mansion thing, we get Ed Begley Jr. in a cameo, which is nice. Yeah, it's, it's it's a nice bit. It also leads to one of my favorite gags. You know, like oh well, like uh, you know, oh, oh what was what was the the line? Uh, it was uh, uh, I was like oh oh we were we were invited here by uh by an Ed Mulgrave. That's impossible. Ed Mulgrave died five years ago, and they all get excited like how they met a ghost, and then they see him and they freak out, and he's like oh who's that? Oh, that's Ed Mulgrave Jr. That's his son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I like I like that bit. I like I like to think they're so ready to believe in ghosts that they they freak out over that coincidence. You know, I think, and as you mentioned earlier, it's nice sort of the plot where um, Aaron Gilbert, the part that Kristen Brigg uh, plays, has it where um, you know she's a professor and she's trying to be like respectable, respectable, but in her past. She wrote a book with this hilarious title that I can't think of right now. It was um, a ghost of our that, past, both literal and figurative. Right, that's it. Ghost <laughs> of our past, both literal and figurative. <laughs> and it like they go to Amazon and find the book, and it's like such like a, a perfect bad uh, self published Amazon book yeah. cover. It, it's just real spot on with the parody and. I almost wish they would have released that as a real book, or did they? I'm not aware that they did, but part of me thinks that would be hilarious. I, I want to know what could fill up over 400 pages. I believe, what they, they say, like, it's 453 pages. They give a very specific page count. Right, because as a tie-in product for the movie, they did release um, sort of the bad guy's compendium of ghosts and spirits, hmm. which, which was just concept art. Um but I think there's a, a fun way to do it with some flavor text in there. But yeah, and so that that the that book resurfacing is is messing up her her uh, path to the uh, the tenure track. That's right, and um, and then a, a video is posted online of them investigating a ghost. Well, that, well, that Which, happens later because she goes because she sure. wrote she wrote that with Abigail Yates, you know, ages ago. So she tracks down Abigail Yates to confront her, and in the course of that confrontation, we're introduced to Holtzman. We get that awesome EVP gag, and then that leads to their investigation at the mansion when the guy, uh, when when uh, Edward Mulgrave shows up at their office. 
And I like how crazy Kate McKinnon is in is as Holtzman. Oh god, and I love how how like she she always kind of she she's always very kind of like casual about it. Is it more right. or less gross if I told you that sound came from the front? <laughs> Such a great gag. A gag you couldn't really get with uh, with a guy, Ghostbuster. I mean, you you could try, but it wouldn't make any sense. It, it, it would be it would be medically horrifying. Those phantasmic work queefs, which I believe was the name of uh, uh, one of the later uh, Sierra games. Phantasmagoria, Phantasmagoria Three, Queef of Fire. Yeah, yeah it's an underlooked entry in the series, which was a, which is going to cross over with Gabriel Knight. That's right. The the Queef appears in both games, and then you get you buy a third crossover game that finishes the uh, saga, which would have involved Roger Wilco for no adequately explained reason. Where it turns out he caused the Queef to happen, but because of the time alert, machine antics in Space Quest Four. That's right. In which he time travels to Phantasmagoria 3, Queefs of Fire. In a deleted scene. Which was erased from his memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. This is oh, a, no, that's a deep. Did. That's a deep cut that no listeners will get. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I do, you know, just like the first movie, they take a long time in introducing the fourth Ghostbuster. Yeah, although I don't think they take... I should have timed it, but I don't believe they take as long. I feel like... Because, like, True. Winston doesn't show up until, like, after the halfway point. But I think uh, in, in this film, uh, Leslie Jones shows up, like, a third of the way through. And even then, we see some of her life before she she meets the Ghostbusters. Yeah, which is a nice touch, which gives a bit more to her character. It does make me think... Uh, I did hear in a lot of reviews and, and stuff at the time that... Well, shouldn't all four of the characters been scientists? Not necessarily. I mean, that in the first that, film, yeah. Winston wasn't a scientist. Right. I think maybe it was maybe the issue that the only minor, the minority lead in the film, the African-American in the film. Oh, oh that she that did, she wasn't an academic. She worked that in she a wasn't an academic. Right. That she was working the blue collar job. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, it, you know, it is, I, I did groan at the gag where they eventually investigate a, a paranormal uh, activity in the, in the subway because the, you know, uh, Patty contacts the Ghostbusters and they come and do it. But a, as they go down there, they see a guy is uh, doing graffiti on the wall and it's the Ghostbusters logo, which made me groan out loud in the theater. That was... And I punched. I, I will qual that gag is uh, cute. I, I I did not care for it. That seemed too on the nose, well, but I get it. Like I could see where it was going right from the setup. Well, I like I like the path we take to get there, where like he keeps spraying on the wall, no matter how many people tell him to stop. Uh, and it it is set up for a gag later in the film. That's that's true. But the thing the thing I don't like is when Holtzman just comments that would make a good logo. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's an like ADR it line, face. so you know it was thrown in as an afterthought. Because I'm sure when they did test screenings, people on the cards wrote, they should say it's the logo. People might not get it. <laughs> you, you know, I wish somebody would, would release a book of audience comment cards from various movies. 
Yeah. And you make a parlor game out of it where you read the cards first, then you got to guess what movie they're for. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a, a famous story, thank you dogs, where um, in, in uh, the movie The Fugitive, Harrison Ford has a beard in the beginning, and then he shaves it off, you know, when he's escaping to try and look different. Mm-hmm. And the studio uh, executives were complaining, well, Harrison Ford shouldn't have a beard in the beginning because then people in the audience won't recognize it's Harrison Ford. Even though we see him shave. Yes. <laughs> and he's Harrison Ford. It's like you can't get Harrison Ford's rugged good looks with the beard on there. It's like, well, how else is he going to escape himself? Is he going to have a Clouseau mustache or a fake nose or something? And he has to practice like, how to say hamburger. Hamburger. Yeah, of course. Those would be fun to do, Pink Panther. Um, anyway, <laughs> Ghostbusters. But, but yeah, well, the thing, well, the thing that, that I, I think a lot of those reviews overlook, though, is that, and, and as... As uh, Patty points out, you know, uh, Abby, Aaron, and Holtzman, they know science, but she knows New York. I mean, her knowledge of New York's history comes right. up in several important plot points. Yep. Um, we get just a little bit about, as we mentioned, the bad guy, Rowan, getting uh, getting picked on, and he wants to, you know, summon an apocalypse. Um I, I, I do think it's neat, and for most of the film, the Ghostbusters headquarters is above a Chinese restaurant, because that's where they can afford the rent. Although it seems to still be quite a big office, all things considered. Well, it's... Yeah, I guess it's one of those things where maybe the building's on the verge of being condemned, that's where they get it so cheap. Although I do, I do love the bit where they are looking at the Ghostbusters firehouse as a possible location... And they do get that thing, and the rent is twenty one hundred dollars. And just out of and Christian Wiig just goes, "Go to hell." I'm sorry, I don't know where yep. that came from. <laughs> but as as somebody who is is house hunting, I've had to choke back that kind of thing when I get when I hear like an estimated value for a property. Yeah, I mean, here in uh, where I live in Portland, Oregon, as of this recording, if you want to get like a um, a townhouse. It'll probably cost you three hundred thousand dollars to three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, home ownership is a scam, and you got to take care of all the repairs yourself. <laughs> yes. Um, so we mentioned um, that they hire uh, Chris Hemsworth, Kevin, as their secretary. Yeah, yeah played by Chris Hemsworth. And I, I love the gag about, like, he doesn't know how to use a phone. Like, they make him really, really <laughs> stupid, which is fun. Why don't you answer the phone? It's in the fish tank. <laughs> and he brings, like, photos of himself, right? Well, I think, he, the... I think the implication is he wants to be... He's, one, he's a guy who moved to New York because he wants to be an actor. That seems to be an... Oh, un- is that it? Okay, I, yeah, because it's like headshots. Yeah, because he always has headshots. He's obsessed with how he looks. You know, like, you know, why aren't there, why aren't there any glass in your glasses? Oh, it kept getting dirty, so I took the gloss out. Right, and that he gets to speak with his, you know, what is, I think, pretty close to his normal accent, or maybe an exaggerated version. I don't think he did. Is, I think that's the way he... Uh, I be- I, I've, I've listened to interviews with him. I think that is that is the way he talks. I mean, oh, probably so he, a he little didn't, like, thick it up a bit? He didn't like make it more. Well, I don't think he. Or... I don't think he thickened the accent. I think it's just that right. he has. He doesn't speak like himself. He speaks like Kevin. Sure. Although Kevin, I think my favorite Kevin line is it? Can I ask you girls a question? 
uh, what picture makes me look more like a doctor? And he holds up a photo of him shirtless with a saxophone. Saxophone. Yeah, one yeah. where he's playing the saxophone, one where he's like has his ear next to the saxophone. When I'm playing jazz or when I'm listening to jazz. <laughs> and it's nice that you get extended scenes of the ladies flirting with him with the objectification of a secretary, but having it be a guy is... Uh... Well- is is real funny and something I didn't wasn't well, smart enough to get in the first wa- first watch. It's mainly Aaron Gilbert because Aaron Gilbert is clearly attracted to him. That's uh, right. Holtzman just seems to think his antics are hilarious and like a- strangely enough, it's Abigail that wants it to be wants them to have a professional secretary and is always calling Kevin out on his bullshit and call and calling uh, Kristen Wiig out on her sexual harassment. Yes. Like, and uh, it's, a, it's a funny running gag. And then speaking of sort of running gags, one of the many cameos in the film, we have Bill Murray as like a, a TV show host that it sort of says, you know, oh, oh, ghosts are bullshit. Well, he's like an amazing Randy yeah. type who debunks people who claim that they found evidence of the paranormal. Right. And he wears sort of like a silly hat. And I think Bill Murray could have tried a bit harder. It's a cute cameo, but it's not as good as, say, his cameo in Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, I mean it's it's great it's great to see him uh, in this movie, and and yet it doesn't it doesn't add much. Like like if he it's, successfully yeah. discredited the Ghostbusters, it would be one thing. If he if he was the Walter Peck who ruins their operation just as it's building up steam, mm, that that uh-huh. would have been a much better use for him. But but instead, you know, we get his talk show appearance, and we get when he visits their headquarters and gets presumably killed by a demon. That's right. Gets tossed out a window. Or, as and Chris Helmworth think... says, the wrong door. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. It's it, sort of a scene that's an analog to the first film. Uh, you know, there's a mayor that kind of gives the Ghostbusters, that, you know, um, has some uh, antagonism with the Ghostbusters. And in this one, the mayor's played by Andy Garcia. Uh, and Cecily Strawn is a secretary, but they don't do a whole lot with it. It's not as big as like the whole dickless stuff in the the first film. Yeah, yeah, they they could have played around with that more, though. It do, it does help justify the Ghostbusters' position at the end of the film. Yeah, it just doesn't seem totally needed. I don't know. Like I I could have take took it or leave it. Uh, and Anderson is okay in the part, but it just seems like it's one of those things where you check the box. If you're going to, you know, sort of base this on the first film, you want to try and cover some of the same beats. Um, But I think the movie gets uh, better when they get to the, uh, when they get to the hotel. Oh, you mean when when they have their, uh, their uh, confrontation uh, with With uh, Rowan? Rowan? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's that is one thing that I do really do really like. I like that the I like that the antagonist in this movie isn't supernatural. Uh, I like that it's he's Rowan is effectively a rogue Ghostbuster. He's using all the same science mm. and all the same tech, yeah. but instead of using it to contain ghosts, he's using it to empower and release ghosts. And I think I think that's a great idea. You know who I wish they would have cast in this part instead? Who? Rick Moranis. Really? Yeah. They tried to get him for, like, a cameo, and he refused. But, I mean, if they would have given him, like, is Rick Moranis being the bad guy? Because we haven't seen him on screen in decades. I don't know. I think they could have been... And he was sort of like the the dweeby nerd, and now in this one, the dweeby nerd ends up being the villain. 
Um, well, I I don't know because I feel like because Rowan does get some crazy rants where he talks about the coming of the fourth cataclysm and the world will be cleansed. Um, Moranis already got to do that in the first Ghostbusters movies. I feel like if sure. he was playing that role, it would just be retreading old ground. It'd be too similar. Mm. Yeah. I wonder what uh, the cameo for Rick Moranis would have been in this movie, though. Because there's already too many cameos. Maybe too many cameos. Or maybe, he, maybe he would have been the Chinese food delivery guy. I don't know. Or the mayor, oh, like, actually. Yeah, sure. Having him as like yeah, a, the mayor? a sniveling, huh, sure. sniveling rat-faced mayor would be awesome. Short mayor, yeah. Um... I mean, so, I mean, so it's it sort of, I was uh, uh, caught a bit surprised by the, the plot twist in here where Rowan deliberately, uh, you know, commits suicide. Yeah, Rowan, Rowan kills himself and you think, oh, that's a nice, neat, tidy ending. But him dying was all part of the plan, which is another thing that I like that this movie plays around with. That, you know, it, it never comes up in Ghostbusters, but the very fact that they can bust ghosts proves that there is some kind of afterlife. Uh, and I, yeah. I love that Rowan takes advantage of that fact. He has no fear of death because he knows he's just going to become a ghost and that's all part of his evil scheme. And, and that you do the possession stuff, which I mean was part of the first film where like Rick Moranis and then Sigourney Weaver was possessed or even the second film, right? Where the, uh, um, Oh, what's the guy's name? Vigo the Carpathian? Yeah, right, where that... Oh, Janos, you know, where Janos that... gets uh, mind-controlled by him. Mm-hmm, Get, gets Janos, and then Dan Aykroyd also gets mind-controlled briefly in the second one. Um, yeah, I mean, it. So, I mean, that's sort of interesting. I, I do think, you know, when we're talking about possessions uh, with who Rowan possesses, I found it much more interesting when Abby was possessed than Kevin. Well, Melissa McCarthy like does a great job of changing her performance when when Rowan is in control. I, I and really she's creepy. Like that. Yeah, it comes off as like possessed and dangerous, and you don't know what's going to happen. Well, she also like acts like she like he's the one guy riding her body. Chris Helmsworth just acts like he still has the physical mannerisms of Kevin when he's when Rowan is in Kevin's body. And that's my big problem in the, you know, third act of the film is the bad... And I, I, I get that you have the conceit, oh, the, this nerdy sort of fat schlumpy guy yeah. is in this, like, muscle-bound body, and so it's like a power fantasy, but not but that, but he can fly around and he can control a ghost, these spirits he's been studying his whole life. And, and yet, Cripps uh, Hemsworth doesn't quite pull it off. And I don't know if it's because he doesn't get one or two good crazy speeches... If it just becomes into, like, nonsense special effects at the end? Well, it's also... Well, part of that, I think, is that he doesn't change his voice either. He still has the his accent. He should use... A, oh, my God, you're right. He should yeah. use an American... He should use, like, a fake American accent when Rowan's controlling him. Do you think if they had dubbed um, the Neil Casey's voice, that would have been too much? I, yeah, I don't think that would have been as strong. Because they didn't need okay. to do that with Melissa McCarthy. They just put... There's the slightest bit of digital tinkering with her voice but it, but it's so right. subtle i think that's all you need although when uh when uh Melissa mccarthy is possessed it does lead to my favorite bit of physical comedy the exorcist head gag and then when leslie jones throws her on the floor and just starts slapping her you know screaming <laughs> the devil yeah, is a like liar that. the power of peggy compels you 
I just I love I love Leslie Jones screaming, "The devil is a liar!" That's so good. And as you mentioned, you know that the treatment on Abby's voice when she's possessed isn't like time to die, Patty. Right, you know, it's not this like overdone, overly modulated thing. No, it's like it's like this weird. It's like the slightest bit of distortion. That's it. It's a slight flange. It's a very light touch. Right. Yeah. Um. So then, in the movie, you know, all the all these ghosts come out and and attack them, uh, in, including you get the manifestation of Rowan as the Ghostbusters logo come to life. Which I thought that I thought that was fun. Because, uh, because even with the, I, th- I thought it was okay, but I thought like the teeth were a bit much, like the pointy teeth and I like I don't the pointy know. teeth it, when he's that was mixed. Did you? Yeah. Although, did you like them shooting him in the crotch? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. Well, we'll 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 talk about that because before before we get to that though, can I say I I really I love the love it when New York gets taken over by the ghosts. There is there is so much like implied stuff going on with those ghosts. We see we see ghosts from all different eras of New York's history, which I think is a really nice touch. I love right. the Macy's no, I did like Thanksgiving the different... Day Parade ghost ghost balloons. Yep. That's so cool. I, I did like that with the different historical periods. I also thought it was neat where um, a Slimer makes a brief appearance, and there's like a lady Slimer, and they have some physical gags in the cop car. Well, then no, they steal. I, uh, they steal Ecto. Oh, that's right. They steal Ecto One. Yep. And um, I thought that was that was real cute. As a fan of the real Ghostbusters cartoon, that got more and more Slimer centric as it went on. It was nice to for for Slimer to have something to do in these movies. This this movie had the exact right amount of Slimer. I agree. Any more, and it would have been too much. But it was enough to people in my audience cheered, where uh, Slimer was on the screen, and uh, and I smiled. I thought the rendition uh, with the, you know modern technology of Slimer, it, it had that sort of goopy, uh, nasty texture, but it still was a bit cheap looking. I think like the original model. Um, and, and I enjoyed it. I, it was just you're right, just the right amount of Slimer. Uh, but yes, yes, the big, the part of the big uh, climax uh, when they when uh, Rowan gets released from Kevin's body and turns into the Ghostbusters logo, which I like that that moment when it is animated in two D. I thought that was a very nice yes, touch. Yes, that was good. Uh, and then yeah, then becomes this this giant, and they they get their cross the streams moment where they they well, where they decide oh well there's like a nuclear reactor on top of Ecto one if we can dump Ecto one into the vortex and cause it to go critical it'll reverse Reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Suckle the ghost back in. It's it's a whole it's a whole nice thing. It's uh, it's it's a better version of the. There's a blue light in the sky that we have to stop a villain from doing a thing to. It's a better version of that. Uh huh. And, and that you have you know the characters are sacrificing each other to pull them out of the vortex. Uh, which is which is nice. But the yeah, so you wanted to talk about shooting uh, shooting Rowan in the crotch. I did, yeah. They, you know, it's sort of a, you think it's going to be a huge fight scene, which it isn't really. But they all focus the lasers on his crotch. Yeah, because he's holding on to buildings so that he won't get sucked into the imploding vortex. They <laughs> shoot him in the crotch, right. so he grabs his crotch, and that's what causes him to get sucked in. Um, that just made me groan. I thought that was a bit much. Uh, people in the audience that I saw it with seemed to eat up that moment. Well, I think I think what makes it work is when 
they all realize that they all decided to shoot for the crotch arbitrarily. <laughs> like, wait, did, did you mean to shoot him in the crotch? Yeah, I thought that's what we were going to do. And they all, like, independently came up with that idea. I, I think there's McCarthy something... There's... has really good, you know, she makes really good facial expressions as they're shooting these lasers at these ghosts. Uh, the, the special effects for all these different apparitions... It is really super impressive, but it also looks really expensive. And to my taste, yeah. uh, it looks almost. This, this will sound like a dumb criticism, perhaps, but it sound it, it looks too good. I can... and it's, it, it gets. I got a bit exhausted from all the ghost combat, which I know the movie is called Ghostbusters. I'm not stupid. Um, I but... I can kind of see that. Uh, I think I think in part it's because we are used to seeing more practical effects in a Ghostbusters film, but also having seen the theatrical version and the extended version, uh, the ghost fighting scenes I feel play out much better in the extended version. If only because in the extended version, everything has a little bit more time to breathe. Mm, okay, uh, and so, so let's talk about that. I have not seen the extended version, which is, uh, you know, one of the cuts that came out on the home video release. Yeah. So what do you think were some of the big versions? Is the movie, like, super long? Is it a lot longer? It's not super I, I think it's, like, five, ten... I, I didn't look at the exact time. I think it's maybe five, ten minutes. It's not, like, ridiculously long. Um, in general, it's just, like, little bits of footage here and there. All, the whole movie just gets more room to breathe, which I think helps Looks like it's, it's 15 minutes longer. Yeah, um, but that, that 15 minutes helps with the movie's pacing a lot. That big scene where they tear through all the ghosts surrounding the hotel to get to the vortex it's much better it's much more fun to watch all the action flows uh much better the only thing that i feel doesn't work is that there's a scene where all the ghostbusters are chilling eating chinese food uh and they're talking about you know their their pasts and uh during uh and anyway during during this conversation uh abby uh and aaron talk about how they tried to do a science fair project about ghosts when they were in uh, middle school. Uh, and they, Hey, do you remember the presentation we gave? And like, they pretend to recreate this high school uh, presentation, which is full of really awkward exposition that does not need to be in the movie. Like it, it feels mm. like something that was added because some studio executive was like, the test audiences aren't going to understand what's happening unless we say beat for beat what's going on. Uh, and because they give this presentation before they figure out what Rowan is doing, what they do in the presentation pretty much explains what Rowan is doing. Cause it's all about a barrier between the dimensions of the living and the dead and how it can be weakened or strengthened based on like magnetic fields. Um, it's just, it's, and I've heard they give Dr. Gilbert a bit more to do at the end of the film in the extended cut. They, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Cause like I, I, I nothing's. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll admit I watched the theatrical cut before this episode, so I, I it may have slipped my mind, but I don't recall any major additions to her. But that whole exposition scene, I feel like if they're going to do something, do that, it needs to be less of an info dump, and they probably should be watching a VHS of themselves in middle school doing it. Seeing adults do it looks it looks kind of sad and desperate. Hmm.
when I'm looking over here, it, it certainly looks like the extended version has uh, enough differences to be noticeable. I'll have to check it out. Um, you know, the critical reception to it has been pretty um, pretty positive. There's also, uh, when, uh, when Rowan in... Uh... Oh, excuse me. Uh, in uh, Kevin's body goes to the hotel to start releasing ghosts and taking over New York. There's much more of him playing around with his powers and doing creepy stuff, and so that's that's also a bit better. Right, because in uh, in the theatrical version, in the end credits, we get sort of this extended deleted scene where he makes the cops dance around. Yeah, you get to see all that in the extended version, and I feel like that's it's so much fun to see Rowan on his power trip. I'm, I'm glad in, that's in the theatrical version. It's a really awkward uh, clip. Well, cut. Well, everybody just gets into this like Saturday Night Fever pose, and then nothing is done with it. So, what do you think about the Ozzy Osbourne cameo? I thought that was. I didn't even think that was Ozzy Osbourne. I thought it was a lookalike. No, it was him. Yeah, um, it past its prime. The Osbournes has not been a show on TV for quite, uh, quite some time. Well, I figure they probably just like it'll be whatever rock star we can get, because apparently, like even in the script, it just says famous rock star uh, for that scene. So I think he was just whoever was available. But I remember in the run up to that, you see so many posters at the rock concert that say Ozzy. They're like, if we don't see Ozzy Osbourne, those posters are going to be really annoying. But then we do see Ozzy Osbourne, but it's still kind of a letdown because it's just a lame, oh, Sharon, I'm having a flashback. It's not a, it's not a good line. That's the only cameo not, I can 100% and, do without. And I mean, really, you could have used better, um, oh, what is it? Yeah, I mean, there's much better cameos you could have done or... I mean, this is a stupid joke off the top of my head, but you could, you could play that song "Moves Like Jagger" or something, and then Mick Jagger walks on the screen. He's like, "They don't move like me at all." Well, I Mick, don't know. Mick Jagger doesn't. Do, well, first, like, they, like why it needs to, it needs to be a metal show, but also Mick Jagger doesn't do doesn't do cameos. Was he not a cameo in the third Pirates of the Caribbean film? I don't know. I haven't seen it. He was. Oh, okay. <laughs> because that's that's who Johnny Depp based his performance off of. No, that was Keith Richards. I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about. You're correct. But no, we do get to see Ernie Hudson. Or it's nice to see Ernie Hudson uh, playing uh, playing Patty's uh, playing Patty's uncle, whom she got the hearse from. Yes, and you get Dan Aykroyd as as a cabbie, which I thought was a real nice understanded cameo. Understated cameo. Well, I like that he gets a he like, gets a character to do. It's it's an Aykroyd, it's just Aykroyd doing a bit. It is, and it's nice. He he does it well. He doesn't like wiggle his eyebrows. Um, like, like, forget it. I'm not going downtown. I'm not. I'm afraid of no ghost. Yeah. Now I do I do like the Sigourney Weaver cameo a lot that we get during the mid credit sequence. Yeah, it made me wish she would have had a bigger part in the film, but um and I guess maybe that's where we should wrap up our discussion of this before we sort of give our concluding thoughts and, and move on with the show. Is uh because, you know, where the, the the stance is, you know, there is Ghost Core, which is the company, as I mentioned, that's meant to make a million Ghostbusters properties. 
Um, we're not going to get, at least not right now, a sequel to this film with the same cast. Uh, instead, uh, we're going to get two things. I don't know how many of this you've heard about, Thrasher, but we're going to get an animated series, possibly to debut on Netflix, called Ghostbusters Ecto Force. Uh-huh. And we're going to get a theatrical animated movie directed by Fletcher Moles, a commercial director best known for his uh, commercials for the cell phone game Clash of the Clans. No, that does not fill me. The second one does not fill me with hope. And there's very little information as to is it going to be like a cartoon version of these Ghostbusters? Is it going to be like a remake of the real Ghostbusters? Is it going to be its own squad? Uh, is the cartoon movie going to be separate from the TV show? That, that, there, that much is up in the air. So There is a part of me that would love it if it was like the Avengers of Ghostbusters, where it's the movie Ghostbusters, the animated series Ghostbusters, the women Ghostbusters, <laughs> and the Ghostbusters from the 1970s starring Larry Storch all have to team up to stop an interdimensional <laughs> bad guy. That, that is really dickish how... <laughs> When they did the cartoon of the movie Ghostbusters, they called it the real Ghostbusters. Well, that was that was in part because uh, as a result That's of right. a lawsuit uh, between uh, the makers of Ghostbusters and Filmation, who made the 1970s Ghostbusters. And or, but wasn't oh sorry, wasn't that old school, 60s Ghostbusters? Yeah. My mistake. But wasn't that old school Ghostbusters? It was a live action sitcom first, and then it was a filmation cartoon. Uh, yes, but the filmation cartoon was rushed into production when Go- when the first Ghostbusters came out because they wanted to kind of capitalize on it, and they also oh, thought they okay. win the lawsuit. Um, yep. It, it is my understanding that that uh, the reason that, that part of the reason why it got the real Ghostbusters was because that the the settlement or the court decision that was made was that because Filmation hadn't done anything with the name Ghostbusters that it now for all intents and purposes belonged to Ghost what would become Ghost Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think it's amusing that in, in this um, twenty sixteen Ghostbusters you get. The, um, the as we mentioned, the logo comes to life, and it reminds me of the title sequence for the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Had the Ghostbusters logo walking around the city, smashing stuff, it, and sort of smiling. It kind of does. There, there is a hint of that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Um, so we talked at length about this uh, 2016 Ghostbusters film. Is it sequel? Yes or sequel? No. Uh, I'm going to give it sequel. Yes. It did the thing that I want a comedy to do. It made me laugh pretty consistently. Uh, it does not. It's not going to diminish your appreciation from the for the original Ghostbusters. It's not an attack on the original Ghostbusters. It's not even a tribute to the original Ghostbusters, despite the the extended cameos. It's just overall, it's it's a fun film. If the original Ghostbusters had never existed and there was just this movie. I don't think it would be well. I don't think it would be well liked, but I think it would be a cult classic. It has that. That's feeling well said. To it. Yeah, I would say um, sequel. Yes, this movie. I, I don't think holds a candle to the original. I do think there's more consistently funny moments than in uh, Ghostbusters Two, hmm. and it will be interesting to see if they do anything else with this. Uh, this take on the Ghostbusters, I wouldn't mind. I, you know, I think in a sequel, now that you did all the setup with the Ghostbusters and so forth, um, with with this crew, you could do something really interesting for a second one. Although the way this movie has the post credit stinger, 
that teases them listening to a tape where there's someone's talking about Zool made me almost throw my soda at the screen. That, that was that was a bit of a cringy moment. That did not... Yeah. They, they, it's a great to have that kind of post-credit sequence, but that probably shouldn't have been it. In all honesty, it probably would have been funnier if, like, I got some artwork to decorate the office, and they're, like, wheeling in <laughs> Vigo the Carpathian. Vigo, yeah, that would be a better joke, I but, agree. But I don't know if you um, noticed that that's kind of the, the irony. Uh, so a lot of a lot of stuff ha- has been written in, in the past few years about movies from the 80s being very, very, like, whether they meant it or not, very pro-Reagan, because the original Ghostbusters... It's about people who work in the field of academics who then go into private enterprise and then do a better job of protecting New York City than the New York City government, which <laughs> is only trying <laughs> to fuck them up the whole movie. And yet in this film, right. it's people who are driven out of academics, go into business and only kind of succeed, but then at the end become civil servants and are now the city's first line of supernatural defense. Where they have, where they have funding, they have funding and a degree of respect. That's interesting. I, I, li- yeah. I like that that reversal. I, I I don't know. I don't know if if the whole you know Reagan thing was the intent in the original Ghostbusters, but it's an interesting interpretation, and I, it'll be interesting to see what uh, interpretations there are for this film in the coming years. Right. I think. Um, yeah. If you were sort of skeptical about the movie, you know, give it give it a shot. It's. Um, what I do think is kind of nuts is the motion picture soundtrack to this. Out of the 14 tracks, at least half of them are covers in some way of the Ghostbusters theme song. <laughs> Which is a great theme, but yeah. But yeah, it, it's sort of... I, I really like the rendition Get Ghost that you hear in the end credits. That sort of has a, a rap in there and, and is more electronic sounding. Oh, yeah. But we do hear the original Ray Parker Jr. version. Um I really like in the trailer how it did the Ghostbusters theme on piano. Which we get a but snippet we... of that in the final showdown when when uh, Rowan th- telekinetically throws the piano at them. Right. Um, so I, th- I think the um, the Missy Elliott cover with Fallout Boy of Ghostbusters called I'm Not Afraid is less successful. But okay. Well, I never heard so any of talked... this stuff on the radio, so <laughs> it didn't get pushed that much. Uh, no, but the soundtrack did sell really well. Um, That's cool. Peak position, number one on U.S. soundtrack albums, number 18 on the Billboard 200 um, for the U.S. So, yeah, let's do uh, Pitch a Sequel. Um, do you want to start, Thrasher? Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose I do. Th- this was really hard because if if it had been more of a remake of the first movie, the sequel I would want to pitch is somebody getting a hold of Ghostbusters technology and using it to make ghosts more powerful. But that's the movie that we got uh, to an right. extent. Uh, so I think I think uh, what I would do uh, with uh, with a second movie uh, is that I so I like the idea that the Ghostbusters are civil servants. So uh, we'll have we'll you know we'll have them in the beginning of the movie at the top of their game. However, the city of New York uh, has a budget crisis. And so there's a lot of talk about cutting the Ghostbusters funding. So the Ghostbusters are dealing with that, trying to prove their uh, worth to the city. And the whole deal is it's all going to be a metaphor uh, about infrastructure because a bunch of supernatural stuff starts happening. And what it turns out is that the original plan for the city of New York 
was done in accordance with occult principles to create a kind of equilibrium of supernatural forces uh, because of like some some you know ancient supernatural force that used to live there and you can even tie it into history you know this is the thing that made the colony of Roanoke disappear and it would have gotten New York too if it hadn't been laid out in such a way but because the city of New York's infrastructure is weakening uh, that protection is going away so this ancient cursed thing is going to rise up out of New York and cause uh, if not the end of the world, at least the end of Manhattan and the five boroughs. Uh, and so that's going to be the big thing that the Ghostbusters are going to, are going to uh, try to stop. And the big, the big thing that happens is that they kind of like, they sort of reignite New Yorker's spirit. Cause I do kind of like that, that sort of story beat. And so they, they managed to get like all the people in New York to clean up their communities and like fill in potholes and garden in their window boxes and generally do things that help with the upkeep of the city. Uh, that reinforces the city's supernatural protection. And then they bring out the big guns and have an awesome showdown with the monster and send it back to hell. Hmm. Uh, and it end, and it ends with uh, you know and what the heck it ends uh, with uh, with Aaron announcing that she's going to run for mayor. Oh, there you go. Pretty neat. Uh, what's your pitch? I would pick. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, Slimer was such a big part of the cartoon. Why not give him his own motion picture? Ooh. This would be called "Look Who's Sliming," and. <laughs> It starts with the conceit from the the movie we just watched, and those Ghostbusters that that Ghostbusters crew with Melissa McCarthy and so forth would it would have a cameo uh, in the beginning of the film, where in fact it would begin with them on a mission, and they call in Mister and Mrs. Slimer to to help them, you know, sort of trick the ghost <laughs> and and use their slime as weapons, and then the Ghostbusters uh, go on holiday on vacation, and. Mr. and Mrs. Slimer decide to use that, that peace and quiet of not being part of the Ghostbusters uh, helpers to uh, to conceive a child, a baby Slimer. Huh. But, however, while they're uh, conceiving, Slimer can't resist and, and has a little pick-me-up snack uh, mid-coitus. And this snack has a spicy pepper that aggravates his ghost sperm that makes sort of like a demon <laughs> ghost baby with immense powers. And because of that, uh, Slimer is, uh, you know, sort of ashamed and scared of, of his Slimer child his, demon baby thing. His Slimer yeah, and spawn. Once, his Slimer spawn, exactly. Uh, maybe that'd be a better title than Look Who's Sliming. <laughs> uh, his Slimer spawn is getting loose and he wants to go and uh, get it. He's not sure if he wants to kill it because it's his own brood, but he, he doesn't know what to do, and he wants to take care of the problem before the Ghostbusters come back because he doesn't want the Ghostbusters headquarters to be in a wreck. And then he apologizes, "Oh no, I'm, I'm so sorry." Right? He doesn't. He, want, he wants to not have any of that happen. So it, it's sort of madcap, very slapstick, very um, kind of going for a, a younger crowd, but you have a few sex jokes for the adults. And um, at the end. It turns out, you know, he thinks he's going to lose against uh, taking the demon hot pepper part out of his child. This is stupid when I think about this <laughs> as I'm talking about it. Um, and, and he tries to get the demon pepper out, and then the lady Ghostbusters are kind of the, the, the do ex uh, machina, and, and they help, you know, save save the day. <laughs> and the movie ends with the uh, Slimer is on the couch kind of half asleep, and uh, Mrs. Slimer comes in and, and sort of nasty ghost lingerie trying to come on to say like, Hey, let's go, f let's try for a little sister. 
wah, wah. as the movie ends. Yeah, wah, wah, he, wah. he turns to the camera and says, "Here we go again." He turns to the camera. Oh, it's a loving. <laughs> beep beep. <laughs> so that's that's my concept for a, a sequel. Um, <laughs> and maybe you'll see some idiot stuff like that in the cartoon movie or the cartoon show. I have no idea. We'll see. Yep. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> took a lot out of us. It did. It did. I was uh, exhausted from that. Um. So uh, now we're moving on to what you're watching. I I caught a movie in the theater. I don't go to the theater as often as I would like. But yesterday I saw, not yesterday, this past Friday, I saw the theatrical live action remake of a cartoon. I'm talking about Lego Batman. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, no, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that could work too. But no, Beauty and the Beast, directed by Bill Condon. I said Condon, not Condom. Um, and it is um, pretty well done, I have to say. It's a bit long. They add some more songs to it, which aren't really necessary. I think one, uh, two things they do well expanding on the original is one is they talk about Belle's family. Hmm. And it's a surprisingly dark bit of backstory. They try to tell some of the Beast backstory when he was a human that's less successful. Um, also, you feel very sorry that the people, all the, the servants of the house, have been turned into the furniture pieces. They sort of have a song about regret that's different from the song in the Broadway show called Human Again, although it's the same sort of uh, the point at the end. You're trying to do an emotional beat. Hmm. And um, Ian McKellen, I think, is the clock. He's especially funny. And Josh Gad as LeFou is a natural. Um, the casting is well done. Like, in one sense, it's about what you'd expect, but it could have been so much worse. And the special effects on The Beast, I thought, were really well done. And Beauty and the Beast is probably one of my top five uh, Disney animated features. No, it's a delightful film. It's it's the movie that made the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists have to create a whole new category for the Oscars so that they'd never have to vote for an animated film for Best Picture ever again. That's right, and that, that happened back at the time where you could only have five nominees for Best Picture. I mean, that's really saying something. But you're right. I, although I don't think the, the animated feature category came into display for another few more years after uh after that but you're right beauty and the beast was the impetus for them to have the best animated feature i mean the best pixar award <laughs> except that time it was shrek and the time it was a miyazaki film oh that's right not it wasn't was it spirited away maybe that one was quite uh, i think it was um, spirited away and he couldn't come because it was after september 11th that's right and he couldn't get the award in person um but yeah, you know, that, that's the main thing I've been watching. I've also um, caught a little bit of a TV movie my wife was watching on the TV and I just walked in and saw some of it and started laughing and then she, I, I had to leave because it, it, she was, I was ruining her fun. But it was um, The Cutting Edge 3 and I guess they've done four of these now. The Cutting Edge was a movie about an ice skater that falls in love with a hockey player and they have to do a dance routine together or something. And... There's a scene sort of like in Act 2 where they're rehearsing their technique and they're also fighting, so they're, his game is sort of off. And he jumps up, spins around in midair, and cuts her across the face with the blade of his ice skate. And there's four of these movies? Yes. 
None of them are related except just for the theme and that it's a romance set around the world of ice skating. But oh. One of them's a hockey player and one of them's an ice skater. And they got to work together on a routine and work through their differences. Um, the first one was theatrical. The, all the other ones were made for TV or direct-to-video. But this third one starred Matt Lanter, who's perhaps better known as being the voice of Anakin in the Clone Wars cartoon. Hmm. So what's uh, something you've been watching, Thrasher? Well, I, I got uh, drawn into a wonderful vortex. Um, so as, as you know, I am a, a fan of B-movies, but, but a miracle happened when a whole bunch of classic MST3K episodes were uh, brought to Netflix. So that's oh, yeah. primarily what I've been watching, is watching some of the best uh, MST3K episodes available. Catalina Now, Caper, are these Mike or Joel episodes? Both. That's the most important question. Both. Oh, okay. Uh, or, or some even from the Sci-Fi Channel? Uh, yeah, they, they, it's it's a mix of episodes all throughout the show's run. Am I right in thinking, and I could be wrong, but um, is it is it Rhino Video or someone has been releasing these on DVD for several years? Is it Shout Factory? I think it's Shout Factory. Okay. It might have been Rhino originally on VHS. Um, that um, not all the episodes have been released on DVD yet, and some of them might not ever be able to because it's things like Godzilla. Yeah, that's it, that's in part because of of rights issues. That's why you'll that's why you'll never have a full season available at any one time. Uh, the the rights are always in a state of flux for the movies. I seem to recall one of the Godzillas they did uh, way back in the day was Jet Jaguar. Yes, that was Godzilla vs. Megalon, which at the time, Toho was trying to set up a new franchise using the giant robot Jet Jaguar, but it, it didn't pan out. Because um, Mystery Science Theater originally was just on a local, you know, public access TV thing, uh, right? Yeah, KTMA in Minnesota. In Minnesota, and then it... Got in syndication and became bigger, and then Comedy well, Central had well, it. it. It was picked and... up. It was picked up by Comedy Central because they were desperate for programming, and it became oh a yeah, cor- right. It became sure. a cornerstone of their network uh, until the network. I, I found I found this out later that part of is that uh, it always got good ratings. They never had a bad season. They always huh. picked up more viewers. The reason it was canceled on Comedy Central was that. The network had grown to a point, and the short of it is it was more attractive to advertisers to have half-hour and hour chunks of airtime to buy advertising for. Mm. And it seemed strange to have a two-hour show that wasn't a blockbuster movie to buy advertising for. So it was all the whole reason they were canceled was all about making the network more attractive to advertisers. Right, because why show... Uh, uh a funny witty mystery science theater episode when you can just show Beverly Hills cop three 20 times in a row <laughs> or the amazing Teddy Z or whatever Fox canceled three years or, ago or airheads or yeah airheads yeah. is okay. I mean, actually it, it um, was, it was a bad, it was a bad idea, but it did move on to the sci-fi channel for, for two, two or three more seasons. And uh, they were very good. And, and I consider those very good seasons. I quite like the fellow in the eight mask. Oh, uh, yes, uh, uh, Kevin Murphy as uh, Professor Bobo. Yeah, speaking of which, the you know the new uh, crowd, partially crowdfunded Mystery Science Theater is coming to Netflix. Is that kind of soon, or uh, when in, is that in happening? Mid-April, I believe. Did Did you uh, contribute to that campaign? Uh, I I didn't because I was I was between jobs at the time. Although a rel- yeah. a very generous relative did de- donate to the Kickstarter in my name as a as a birthday present, which I thought was very sweet. 
So actually, I might have so, some backer rewards coming to me. I ought to look into that. <laughs> so, so what do you think about... This is a little bit off topic, but we have a few more minutes to talk about before we wrap things up. Um, and it's, it's sort of germane to the internet as it is now. You know, sometimes you see things on, on Kickstarter that do really well, and then later they get picked up, you know, whether it's, it's through a Netflix or Amazon Studios or a movie studio or a video game company or something. Do you feel cheated uh, when that happens? I don't, I, overall, or... I don't feel cheated. I mean, as a project develops, if you can if you can spin it or grow it into something bigger and better, but still sure. deliver what you promised to the backers, I think that's fantastic. The only the only things on on crowdfunding sites that 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 kind of rub me the wrong way are when there's a crowdfunding thing just to build interest for something not to actually create the full product uh, or or the I guess for lack of a better term the the joke Kickstarter like the potato salad or the emperor's or the emperor's <laughs> new clothes board game uh, where it just seems like a, it just seems like a dick move that gets rewarded with a ridiculous amount of cash well I think now you know that the streams of the the strains have sort of tightened up. It's not quite the Wild West. You still get some stupid stuff. The thing that I get more annoyed by, like, I, I get it, especially if it's a kick. Like, uh, I've only contributed to one um, Kickstarter, and it was for a, a, uh, a book of movie reviews from the Now Playing uh, podcast oh, guys. Yes. Those guys do a great show where they talk about... Uh, they're lately on a kick where they're trying to do every single Stephen King movie or TV movie ever made. Cool. Which is insane. They haven't been doing just straight Stephen King because they'd kill themselves. But uh, you know they're they're doing all right. But uh, you know like stuff like them where it's a few guys doing it. They like blow the deadlines that they promise stuff will come out, and that doesn't bother me so much as long as something comes out. I think you have to be understanding. The one that really bothers me, and it's a shame because I like the guy behind it, is Star Citizen. Oh, was this was this like an outer space RPG? Where, like, you fly Yeah, yeah, so it's by Chris Roberts, the guy that did Wind Commander, and I, I think if he had the rights, he would have just called it, like, Wind Commander Online, because that's mm-hmm. basically what it is, but there's also a, a part of it that's called Squadron 42 that will be a single-player thing with all these um, cinematics where it's, it's like, CG, but they use, like, actors like Mark Hamill and stuff. A- anyway, yeah, like, according to the Kickstarter, it was supposed to just be, like, Wind Commander stuff, but because they kept on raising money afterwards and raised uh, so much money... It turns out, oh, it's going to be like a um, like a Wing Commander space shoot 'em up. But then it's also going to be like a, um, Call of Duty when you land on planets and fight stuff around. Yeah, that, that's a particular a particular hurdle that a lot I've noticed a lot of video game kickstarters hit is that you know the bigger it gets, the more features get added, so the greater the development time grows. Right, and this you know, in this uh, crowdfunding for this uh, Star Citizen game started in October. 2012 um to date it's received over 145 million dollars from backers Hmm. and the completed game has not come out yet period it is 2017 as of this recording any demos or screenshots or anything (sighs) yeah i mean i mean i've even thought about contributing to it but my computer's a bit old um you get sort of like self-contained segments of like dogfighting or check out this planet or it's you know these modules right Vertical slices, I guess you could call it. But not... Uh, the idea is the Star Citizen part of the game is the, the persistent online stuff, and Squadron 42 is the single-player stuff where they've already filmed all the footage for. 
And uh, they recently announced they're changing their engine for the game, which is never a good sign. Oh, yeah. Not that... And, uh, you know, I am I know some about game development. I came out with the text adventure game, uh, Frankenstein's Bastard Daughter, a few years ago. You can check that out if you look at it on Google and play it for free. But uh, anytime you say you're going to switch an engine, no matter what uh, creative talking you get, that's never a quick process. No, no. There's a lot of retrofitting that needs to be done. And sometimes you need to tear down whole sections of the game and rebuild them from scratch. Exactly, yep. So, I mean, infamously, uh, Duke Nukem Forever changed the engine like three or four or five times in the course of development. Yeah, well, that took and like that took fif- 15 years. 15, 18 yeah. years? I, I think 15, uh, at least over a decade, maybe even 15. It was setting a record, I think, for a while. But this Star Citizen, it's been five years, but like the, the full game should have been out by now. And I think had they just focused on the original goal of just being a Wing Commander kind of space sim game with cinematics, they could have been out easy um so who the hell knows it's going to be on the platforms of uh for pc and for linux so whatever um i'll be curious to see where it goes i have not contributed money towards it but um it's stuff like that that really rubs me the wrong way i think when it's like five or it's like several years and millions of dollars and it's like where is this money going man can people sue him for fraud can people i don't know I'm not advocating that, by the way, but it's just, um, it's just very curious and something pretty weird that people don't think of. So we've gone off on tangents. But they've been good tangents. I think so, and we've had a good discussion here about Ghostbusters, the, uh, the 2016 film. And next time on Sequelcast 2, we are going to be talking about another franchise of films. This is one that you have uh, picked, Thrasher. Oh, yes. talk about it briefly? Uh, yes, we are going to be... We're going back to my first love of animation, uh, and we are going to be covering the Emperor's New Groove duology. And which of the films in that series, so people can uh, check it out? Oh, that will be uh, The Emperor's New Groove uh, and its sequel, Kronk's New Groove. Uh, and we will probably do a tangent about the uh, animated series based on those two movies, The Emperor's New School. Although the less said about that, the better. But we'll get into that during those episodes. Yeah, I think we'll probably touch on that on the Kronk's New Groove episode. Um, so very good. That's some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, so... Be sure and leave us a nice review on iTunes. Just search for SequelCast2. On Twitter, follow us at SequelCast2. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. And you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Again, the theme song for SequelCast2 was written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his website at markwithac.com. And we're part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshippretension.com. So for the SequelCast2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, the devil is a liar. Smack, smack, Ghostbusters. Did you know that the part of the song Bustin' Makes Me Feel Good is a sex joke? I did not know that. Well, a relation to Bustin' a Nut? Yes. It can be two things, but yes. The composer admitted to such. He said there's a lot of dirty things in that song, so it makes me want to do a, a full, deep analysis. No, no, I mean, it, actually, we fun to do a breakdown. That might be a good supplemental bonus episode. Right. Um, the other, speaking of, you know, that, that Ghostbusters song, uh, there was a really good article, uh, I think about a year ago, posted online about, um, 
the making of that Ghostbusters Xbox 360 game we talked about. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> the budget on that was quite big, uh, even for a licensed game, oh, which yeah. you don't see that much of anymore. And uh, <laughs> to get the rights to the Ghostbusters theme cost them a million bucks. <laughs> it's a big song. Which they say in retrospect they overpaid for it. <laughs> but it's like, you're going to do Ghostbusters without the song? Really? <laughs> uh, I, I just thought that was... But yeah, the Ghostbusters video game, um, I don't think it's backwards compatible, but... I'm not aware if, that if it you is, can somehow, if you can play it, play it. It's fun. Yeah, if you can play it, play it. It's, uh, it's well worth your time or watch a Let's Play or something. So yeah, next time we'll be talking about the Emperor's New Groove. Um... <laughs> I also want to recommend, if you're looking for some supplemental thing, if you can find it, there's a documentary that uh, you can only find bootleg because Disney won't allow it to be released. It's in the festival circuit. And it is called, and let me look up the name here for a second, but it's about the Emperor's New Groove was originally I, I have to run developed. just a second. Sure. The Emperor's New Groove was originally developed as a serious uh, picture called um, Kingdom of the Sun that had completely different directors. And this documentary that's uh, out of print that is, um, you know, you have to find on the bootleg circuit, unfortunately, and it it really should be uh, really something better, uh, more available than it is because it's great. It's called The Sweatbox. And they talk about, you know, the executive interference and just how the movie was supposed to be serious and it turned to be more like Warner Brothers and silly, uh, which has its own um, funny stuff in there. It has its own stuff that's good, but, like, the movie is pretty uh, pretty honest and, and raw. And specifically Sting, you know, did a lot of very serious, uh, deep and moving songs um, for the original version of Emperor's New Groove, and then he had to cut and make sort of cartoon versions, and he was close to walking off the uh, the project. And in fact, his wife Trudy Styler is a uh, a co director of the film, along with John Paul Davidson. So, if you're looking for good supplemental material, check out the Sweatbox if you can find it. A very edited version is cut to a very short extra called um making the music video on the uh dvd and the blu-ray so check it out it's well worth your time uh, but yeah uh, next time we're going to be talking about emperor's new groove and i uh, hope you liked this show of sequel cast 2 talking about the ghostbusters Bye bye this program is a proud member of the battleship pretension fleet 